Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. All right, we're going to begin tonight looking at the first chapter of the book of Amos. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background of this book. Uh, It is, as Brother Gerald pointed out, it is a minor prophet book. Minor prophet simply... Let me ask that. Let me just start with a quick... Why do we call it a minor prophet? Any ideas why it's called a minor prophet? It's because you're right. It's short. It's not one major prophets. Often we think about major prophets. Oh, it's a major prophet because oh, he's very important. In reality, it is all all prophecy given of God is of equal importance. It's just the fact that Amos is a very short short book, and so that's why all the minor prophets are called minor because those books are are shorter than the major pro, uh, the prophets. Um, this, we believe, we don't know this, but speculating uh, historically-wise when it was found, when it's believed it was written, Amos possibly is the first of the writing prophets, meaning reality is he may be the first one who actually his, his book was written down uh, on, on paper, not just orally given, but actually written down. He was a shepherd uh, and a farmer called the prophecy during the reign of Uzziah. Uh, king of the southern kingdom. What was the southern kingdom called? This is after the split of the two kingdoms. It was called what? Judah. Southern call uh, Judah. What was the capital of Judah? Jerusalem. Okay. Why does anyone like I said? We we went over a lot of this last year. We went through the through the just the 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 the, the books of the Bible. I'm having a hard time with my words today. I apologize if I stammer and stutter. But when we did an overview. Uh, of of the Old Testament, we kind of went through through these things. But uh, uh, why is it called Judah? Just help me see if I taught you guys anything. Why is it called Judah? Be- because the major the major tribe that was the largest tribe was Judah. There's only two tribes that made up Judah, and that that Jerusalem was in the middle of Judah. So therefore, it's. It's no, you know, it's not some kind of thing. It's just, hey, we're gonna call ourselves Judah because we're the largest tribe. The other ten northern tribes were called Israel. They retained the name Israel. And at this time of the writing of the book of Amos, uh, Jeroboam II was the king. Okay, during the time uh, both kingdoms were enjoying, it's rare that both kingdoms were enjoying political stability. Both these kingdoms, the southern kingdom of of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel were both pretty politically stable at this point. They weren't fighting against each other anymore. Because of that, their stability, they were actually prosperous during this time. Their countries were both very prosperous. But with prosperity, just like in America, what happens when, when things start going well? People seem to start slipping away from the Lord. And so we see that. That's why Amos is writing this, this book um, to Israel, okay? So they, were, they got into idolatry, extravagance, and corruption. The rich and the powerful were oppressing the poor, and, and Amos denounces the people of Israel for their, their apostasy, from walking away from their relationship with their commitment to God. And also, you're going to find in this social injustice is dealt with in here. There's some social injustice which we can relate to in our world today. And he warned them about disaster that, disaster that would fall upon them for breaking their covenant with uh, Yahweh, with God. Okay, so that's why this is just an overview of the book. He urges them to leave their hypocrisy of their, 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 their lives. Uh, he uses in chapter 5, 21, he says, you're solemn, quote-unquote, it's almost like me. He's using sarcasm there, okay? You're meeting together, but it's, there's nothing really being done. And instead, to let justice roll down like waters. He said, we, we need to get back to a place of God's justice. justice. So, but nevertheless... Um, Amos uh, would God would use Amos to to remind the people, and this is this is one of the the richest things that I think we can grasp from this book. As I began studying it this week, is God through Amos promises, and I think throughout His Word we see this. There's always going to be a remnant. He doesn't forsake man. For those. For though, as, as our nation starts to continue tumbling down this, this road, this hill, away from God as a nation, doesn't mean that he, we're going to feel the brunt of that, just like the Israel, Israelis did here, the Israelites would here. 
We're, we're, but God's not going to forsake us. There's always going to be a remnant, and He's going to look after the remnant. Always going to look after the remnant. Did you say remnant? Remnant, yeah. Yeah, okay? And, and that's throughout the Word of God. There's always, even, even to, in, to Revelation, 144,000, a remnant. There, there's going to be those that He's going to look out for. So let's begin uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we're going to read it, and then I'm just going to... This is an introductory uh, verse, and but in it is a lot of information. And it's not necessarily spiritual in the sense of, oh, revelation from God, but it helps define... I want you to be learners tonight. defines how we know when this book was written, who has written it, and what the message is. Yes, sir. I also think that, well, the first verse is, is really important in the fact that God can deliver messages or will deliver messages even of, from the lowest of the low. And Absolutely. Low Absolutely. And, of course, David was a shepherd also. Absolutely, yeah. Good point. Respect your person. That's right. He's looking for a heart that's open to be used. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Amos 1.1, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Takeo, which he has concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So right here, there's a couple things that we can dissect and get an idea of when this writing was, or, or why we know when the writing was. We, we, there's people a lot smarter than me that dissected this, and they tell us when it is. But this is how they know. So the opening verse of Amos contains several vital pieces of information concerning the book. First, it, it identifies the contents of the book. Okay, It contains, for the most part, the words of Amos, which are really the words of God. But it identifies, basically, short way to say that, who wrote the book. And, and this is pretty typical in the Old Testament. It always begins with the author of the book. And, and you'll, you'll see a lot of patterns in Old Testament books. Okay, uh, it's His proclamations, it's God's proclamations, or God's oracles, or even God's sermons through this man named Amos. Now, Amos does not occur outside the book. This is the only place within the 66 books of the canon that we have that he's mentioned. Although, and like I said, I do my research on this stuff, so I bring out little nidbits here for you guys. There is a name called Amashiah, which is the longer form of this name, and it appears in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 16, but we're not sure if it's the same fellow. Just kind of let you know that. So, I want you to see how educated I am, I guess. I guess I didn't need to put that in there. At the time he was dispatched on his mission, uh, Amos was among the shepherds, as Brother Gerald pointed out, some of the, the lower echelon of society. Um, and he's from uh, Tekoa. Now, why is that important? Tekoa identifies where he's from. And this little village uh, is in Judah. And that's important to understand. It's in Judah and it's six miles south of Bethlehem and 11 miles from Jerusalem, all right? So that just lets us know where he's from. But it's important here as we go on, you're going to find out because where is he from? He's from the country, the nation of Judah. But that's not who he is called to minister to, okay? The verse speaks to the origin of these words as well. Amos saw, saw these words, okay? Talk to me. What does that communicate to you? Vision. Divine revelation. Sometimes God spoke orally, or orally, forgive me, orally. But in this case, it, it tends to be more of a vision, a divine revelation. Uh, he was received it for it. He even spoke it to the people. Uh, this goes back to, we see this several places within the Bible, where, like in Numbers 24-2 and 1 Kings 22-17, where we see this. Within this book, five visions are described in the book. Time out for just a minute. I just remember something. I want to, if if you really enjoy this lesson or any of the lessons, uh, we have these on podcasts. By the way, that's why we're recording them. And believe it or not, our podcasts are gaining ground. We're having more people listen to our Wednesday night podcast than we we really are having watch on Sunday morning anymore. It really is growing, and we're in like five nations around the world now. So uh, we are, yeah, it's really amazing. So, and if you're listening by uh, podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and, and we'd love for you to reach out to us via Facebook and let us know where you're listening to us from. All right, so let's continue. Okay, thirdly, this verse identifies the subject matter of the book. Okay, 
Amos spoke concerning who? Israel. Okay? Pointing this out because he lived in Judah. The main burden of his ministry was to Israel. He's not speaking to Judah, the nation of Judah. He's speaking to his brothers in Israel, okay, the northern kingdom. Most of the Old Testament prophets spoke to the southern kingdom of Judah. You may not know this. Few of them spoke mainly to Judah. They may have also mentioned Israel, but most of them focus on Judah. Now, some of that's because which nation is wiped out first? The northern, country, northern nation of Israel. So uh, this is a warning to them uh, before the, uh, the Assyrians come down and, and literally just take over the land and the, scattered the, the ten tribes all across the world. And um, we don't know where they all went, to be quite honest with you, okay? The only other prophet to speak that we know of directly to Israel was Hosea. So these two are the prior, primary prophets speaking to Hosea. Anybody know who, who Amos' contemporaries were that were prophesying to Judah at this time? Any ideas? Isaiah and Micah. Isaiah, so those two prophets were speaking prophetically from God to Judah, and then God calls Amos to speak to Israel, okay? Just, I said, in the, in, in the big scheme of things, what do we gather from that, from a spiritual depth? Probably not a lot, but it does, it tells me what? The Bible makes sense, and it lines up historically. Yes, ma'am? What's amazing to me is the word, these shepherds. These shepherds, yeah. Yeah, and listen... That's what I'm saying. We're going to go through some of this stuff, and some of it's going to be just like, okay, talking about this nation, what God's going to do to this nation, why He's going to do to it. There's lessons to be learned in that. But I, I agree with you. There's little things like that. And, and why would He use a shepherd? Because probably shepherds were, were humble. Humble. And they, and they, I don't want to say they had less distractions, but let's face it, you're out there with your sheep in the fields, and you're looking at the stars. They, they were exposed to God's presence through nature all the time. Brother Jim? In the dedication of, Ze uh, of shepherds. Yes. Now, I, I was flipping through the channel, and this was years ago, and I came across the, believe it or not, the Catholic channel. Yeah. And for some reason, I stopped, and there was a priest giving a, a, a story or something that he went through, and he said he traveled to the Holy Land. He always wanted to go, and he hired someone to put him, to take a tour with him. And he says, not a regular tour. He wanted to see what everybody else did. And the tour guide took him to a place that had a railing. It was a beautiful cliff. He could see out over. And as he was standing there, he heard something. And down the cliff was a sheep mm. that had fallen. And he says, oh, my Lord. He says, that sheep, that poor sheep, there's no hope for it. He said, my heart really went out to him. But then all of a sudden, something else kept caught my eye. There was a man climbing down the cliff. Get to that sheep. And he asked the guy, he said, why is that man climbing down that cliff? He could die. He said, well, he's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. Wow. And he says, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just came on me so hard. He said, I told the guy, take me back to my room. Hmm. And he said, I went back to my room and I fell on my face and said, God, forgive me yeah. for not being a shepherd. Wow. That's good. That's powerful. That story was, was powerful. Powerful. That's a powerful story. Yeah. It's good. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's that, uh, that ministers to me. That's what a shepherd does. Leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Amen. Well, at the end of verse 1, or within there, do you let, let's be students of the Word. Like I said, I, 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 I'm not trying to be a, a professor and teach on a college level, but I like to dissect what we read, you see something unusual. Matter of fact, Miss Pat went, oh, when I emphasized it, when I read it. What is unique about verse 1? What does Amos mention in verse 1 that's unique to, to the situation? Earthquake. Don't be, don't be, don't be shy. Yeah, earthquake. Why, why, is that, why would that be important? Well, it gives this book historical content, or context, rather, okay? He mentions the names of two kings, Uzziah and, 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 and Jeroboam, and now he pinpoints a time in his ministry, and the text declares that he was preaching two years before the earthquake. So that tells us two things. This this book is written after he spoke it and after the earthquake. 
first of all. So it wasn't like he spoke it and he wrote it. He spoke it, and then at least, at least two years later, after the earthquake is when it's written down. It's historical context of when he's doing it. But it also gives us this time period where either this earthquake was so severe that people couldn't forget it, or it was so rare they couldn't forget it, but nonetheless, they can say, oh, I remember that earthquake. We had an event in our lives that has affected us in the same way. We won't say his name, but he was a very big storm that did a lot of ugly stuff to our area. Okay, Hurricane Michael. Well, do we not speak within the same context? Hey, before Hurricane Michael, you know, I, I had someone come and look at my house today, insurance inspector and all, and, and we were talking. I said, yeah, before Hurricane Michael, it was like this. Right? Why? It's a moment in my history where I could say demarcation. This is before. It's the same way with salvation. B.C. Before Christ, I was this way. After Christ. Well, this is the context. It's setting at time. And what's interesting is this is very possibly the same earthquake that's mentioned in Zechariah 14.5. He mentions an earthquake over there. And it's very possible so that through the Holy Spirit, this is pinpointing for us, but just as importantly or more importantly for the, is the Jewish people, their history, of when this took place. But it also gives... Uh, uh, definition, it gives proof of an event that took place, and now we can cross pinpoint and, and get our, our degrees together and line it all up. Okay, I thought that was interesting. Don't ever take that for granted. There's a reason for it's in there. Okay? Credibility, yeah, credibility. That's the word I was trying to get out. Thank you. Yes, credibility. So let's look at verse 2. So that's the introduction. Now let's look at verse 2. And he said, Amos said, The Lord roars from Zion. First of all, what it, when he says Zion, what is Zion? It's the mountain that Jerusalem's on, Mount Zion. Okay, some people say Zion or Zion. So, it, but it, it, it's, a, it's a word that, that they refer to. Matter of fact, the, the Muslims refer to Jews as Zionist. Okay? It comes from the mount where Jerusalem is. Okay? So, but he's talking about the Lord roars from Zion. So it does have a spiritual context where the Lord's at, uh, a heavenly context, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Of course, we know that in Zion's where the temple's located. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Now, although verse 2 is separate in context, this is a totally different context from verse 1. Verse 1 introduces who, where, why, and now he goes and says, this is what the Lord is saying. But although it's separate, nonetheless, this is part of the introduction. This is a summary scripture of the whole book of Amos. He gives you a summary right here is what he's talking about, okay? He says, the message begins with, with what? A roar from the Lord. Lion of the tribe of Judah. A roar. When does a lion usually roar? In the evening. Good. But also when he's on the prowl or when he's, he, when he's hungry or... When he want the wrath, or what, however you want to put it. So it, it gives the, this mental picture of, 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 of God, and he's roaring. He is, he is projecting, all right? He, he, he's, he's blasting out, okay? He's about to pounce upon his prey. And here the roar signals an imminent judgment. There's judgment coming, and Amos has borrowed these words from Joel, Joel 3.16, and he intends to summarize his message in this single verse. This is it. There is judgment coming. Now, he's going to describe the judgment, and the judgment isn't just to Israel. There's a vast judgment coming. Now, understand it in context. This is before Assyria comes and wipes out Israel, and obviously this is over 100-something years before Babylon shows up and takes Judah into captivity, okay? So there's a historical standpoint. You've got to understand the historical picture. You got any questions about that? I want to make sure we're all there, okay? John? Go ahead. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, we're going to break it down. So what he's saying is the whole land is going to be affected by the judgment with God's warning or roaring or heralding here. So there's a judgment that's coming. Uh, some believe that when he says the pastures of the shepherds shall mourn, uh, they, some think this is metaphorically speaking. Which, what do you mean by that? Well, some believe that pastors are the nations. Because you can find out there's neighboring nations. There's, it's almost like this, a spiraling of the effect. It's like he's going to affect all these nations and then suddenly it's going to come down on Israel. 
Okay? Now I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Why do you think we're about to talk about all, and we're coming back to what you just said, but I've got to go with, with the, the, the thought here. Why do you think that he's going to talk about the enemies and the neighbors and then Israel? Why, think for just a minute, why is he focusing on the outward of the surface or the circle around Israel? Um, so, okay, the thing about Amos that I really, really love about it is okay. it uses a chiasm. It has a chiasm structure. Okay. So that goes A, B, B, A. So it has outside and it goes in. Yes. So it would just... He writes the whole thing in a chiastic structure. Absolutely. So just doing that, it would be um, he's writing it in a form of poetry. So if you go from the outside, the enemies, and then you go all the way to the inside where he's actually talking about. Absolutely. It fits into the poetry that he's already uh, The writing. style of writing that they had, absolutely. Very good. From a prophetic standpoint, though, I've already given away who, who, who is God going to use to judge these nations? The Assyrians. So they're going to actually come in and start conquering. You see how it works with this writing? So it's a style of writing, but it's also the fact that that's how the Assyrians are going to come. They're going to conquer, 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 and then there's Israel. See? Yeah. So, so some believe that this, the reason why I say that is because some believe when it speaks of pastors, they're saying of pastures, they're thinking of that these represent the nations of the world and the shepherds are their kings. Okay. And, of course, Carmel would represent the land of Israel, Mount Carmel. Yes, the same Mount Carmel where Elijah and the prophets of Baal warred against each other and God sent fire from heaven, okay? But that was an important place, and it represents the top or the royalties would, would be we toppled. But Amos probably, and that's true, so we understand prophecy a lot of times has double meaning. It doesn't mean that means one thing means something different. It just means something now and it can also mean something in the future a little bit different. So with that we, we believe that this is and talking about the entire land would be devastated by the blast of the war of God and this is a picture of drought. That's why the shepherds would be mourning because the pastures would be dry and without green grass then how do you tend to your flocks? So like I said, a lot, a lot of moving pieces there. Um, but very, very important that we understand this type of writing. Yeah, he's just not out there just writing. It's a form of writing, and it's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, all right? Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, by the way, you're going to see this pattern, three, four, three, four. It's actually called X plus one. It's a form of writing. You see some of this in the New Testament as well. And for I will not revoke the punishment because they have they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Benadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus <clears throat> and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avin, of Avin. And and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, I'll get that out. And the people of Syria, Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. A lot to unpack there, but basically he's talking about the judgment of Damascus here. Okay, he begins by warning of impeding judgment on Israel's neighbor, which lay to the north. Who lays directly to the north? Anybody know during this time? Syria, not Assyria. Syria. It's a different nation. Damascus is the capital, even today. I think it's still the capital. Forgive me, I didn't do that research, but it was then. But it's still in Syria today, okay? And so he's saying, hey, this is judgment. It was condemned for having threshed Gilead, okay, which is part of Israel, threshing sledge, sledges of iron, okay? Now, this is, we believe this is probably, which we're pretty confident, this is referring to the time Syria had its tendency to come down on Israel and lord over Israel and, and bring Israel under servitude. Now, at this point, they're not, but they would come in, and a lot of this took place in the area, the geographical area of Gilead, Okay, so there's historical meaning to this. It's just not terms thrown out there, cities or regions. There's a reason for it. And they would come in, and what would happen is they would defeat the Israelites, and then they would mistreat them. This is because of their war atrocities, perpetuated by Hazel and his son Ben-Hadad. Okay, they're the reigning, during this time, they're the reigning uh, monarchy during this time of Syria. Okay, and they lorded over Israel. So the threshing instruments... 
that they're talking about here was a threshing instrument, we believe, whether it's talking about the war atrocities and that it's used as an example, or could they possibly have used this threshing instrument, which was a big board that they would drive nails or rocks into, and they would put it behind a ox, and then the driver would stand on this thing, and it would tear whatever is, almost like a plow, but they used it for threshing. And what they would do, one of the atrocities they would do, is they would take the Israelites, the men particularly, and they tie them out on stakes, and they would use this particular device and rake over them, killing them, or at least severely wounding them. It was, it was very, very, very sad. They did a lot of atrocity things. They did. They were very, uh, very wicked uh, tactics that they used during this time of warfare. Okay, so. Apparently, the Armenians would arrange prisoners, like I said, on the ground and, and then drive this instrument over them. And so, such brutality demands condemnation. And that's what God's saying. God declares His intention to send fire of judgment against Hazel, the current dynasty of Damascus. The fire of war would consume the palace of Ben-Hadad, one of the popular names for the rulers of Armon. There's several Benadads in their history. God would break the bars of Damascus. In other words, what he would do is he would break the security. He would make, they would not be able to get into their walled city and be secure. That's, that's what he's talking about there. That there be no way to avoid the wrath or the punishment that God is about to pour out on Damascus. Okay? Um, the people of Armand would go into captivity into Kerr, and we will learn later in chapter seven of chapter nine, verse seven, that Kerr is their place of origin. That's where these people came from. So they're actually going to go back to their place of origin as captives. Okay. So, like I said, there's a lot there to look at um, from a geographical and historical standpoint. Any questions about that? I don't just want to breeze through this, and we get done and say, okay, that was okay, that was good. Any questions about? It? Any comments? Said a lot of historical stuff going on here, setting the setting the, the plate here. Okay? And this this is continue. Amos 1, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile the whole people to deliver them unto Edom. So I will send a fire upon the walls of Gaza. This is the this is the wrath of God. And it shall devour her strongholds. In other words, there's nowhere they're going to be able to go and hide. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn my hand against Akron. And the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Okay? Now judgment's coming on the Philistines. There's still a remnant of Philistines still existing. And they were guilty of what? From that scripture, what were they guilty of? Can you pinpoint what they're guilty of? Slavery. 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 Yeah, they're guilty of slavery right there, okay? Uh, guilty of, of slave trade. They carried in exile a whole people to deliver them to who? Edom, okay? Without regard even for women and children, the Philistines handed these captives over to the Edomites, who despised them or disposed them to distant lands. Okay, for their participation in the slave treaty or trade, rather, uh, the Philistine cities would be assaulted by the fire of God's judgment. The rulers of Ashdod and Ashkelon would be cut off. God would turn His hand against the city of Ekron, and I.e. continue to demonstrate His power over the palace, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. In other words, the Philistines, as a people, would be destroyed, gone. Yep. Verse 9 and 10. Pretty much. You don't hear much after them after this. Yeah. I mean, we really don't. When you, really, when you read it even in the Word of God, you don't, you don't hear anything else about Philistine. And their heyday was before David. David really brought them in submission um, through David, um, God through David's leadership. Um, and then, of course, Solomon, King Solomon, the, the, the uh, Israel expanded its borders, but but they were still there were still Philistines there, and yeah, they're they're gone, they're wiped out. God keeps His word. Verse nine. Thus says the Lord: For the for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom. Edom. And did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre. 
and it shall devour her, devour her stronghold. There, there is a common message through here. God doesn't tolerate disobedience, does it? He's going to send judgment. God's a God of judgment. We forget that. He is a God of love. He is a God of love. But He's first a God of judgment. They coexist, but it's because He's a God of judgment that there had to be a sacrifice. See? It's love. So, But there is judgment coming. Uh, there's coming a time soon uh, that judgment's going to fall on this nation. God's, I, there again, we, we can debate this, but I, I think, you know, we, we love 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people are called by my name, but if you read Chronicles 7.13, you find out real quick that when God says, when I send my pestilence and my disease, then when my people, so God's, this virus, we can say it's of the devil, all we want to, and that's fine, and it is, it is, but God's allowing it, is what my point is, it's part of his judgment upon this world, there's no doubt about it. God's trying to get the attention of the world. He's trying to get the attention of the church as well. And, and so God's a God of judgment, no doubt about that. So, so this time it's up on uh, the Phoeotians. Or the, uh, if, you, if you're wondering what nation or group of people, uh, they had also been involved with slave trade. God, God, God delivered his people from slavery. God is not pro-slavery. I know it speaks of masters and servants and slaves. It depends on which translation you're looking at. Uh, but in the New Testament, it's primarily talking about being a servant. You can be a, a bond slave. Bond slave is somebody who willingly puts themselves into servanthood. Okay? They did, they did have slavery in the sense that if you couldn't pay your debt, you had to pay your debt off. But either when you paid your debt or the year of Jubilee, you were released. Brother Joey? Yeah. No punishment. Yeah. It is it is. It definitely is. Can't speak of other nations, but our nation it definitely is. Uh and uh we are we are just well no, we're not just beginning. We we're in the early stages of seeing the repercussions of that very fact that there is no there is no punishment for doing wrong. We're getting away from punishment. And what is, what is good is being called evil. And what is evil is being called good. We are there, folks. We are definitely there. Absolutely. I see that now with kids at school. Yeah. Let me tell you something. When I was a kid, if an adult came up, it didn't matter if my mom and dad knew them or not, whether it was at church or school or at the mall, if someone came up to my mom or dad and said, your child, your son did this, there was no question I did it. They didn't, they, oh no, not my son. My son can't, no, no, no. I may have never got a spanking in my life, but that didn't mean they didn't discipline me. It's just that they had other ways of discipline that worked. Uh, trust me, but today, it's, it's true in the church. It's true in the schools. It's true everywhere. You go and my child, your child can do no wrong. And, and it's, 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 it's bad. It's bad. And we wonder why, we wonder why, uh, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to step on toes tonight. We're studying, we're in Amos chapter 1. Um, Amos chapter 1. So, but yeah, the Phoeotians had also been involved with slave trade. Uh, they delivered uh, up an entire captive population to Edom. And their sin, however, went beyond Philistia. Okay, what you see there in verses 9 and 10, that's different than what we've seen in verses 7 and 8. You see anything there? There's a statement that God makes. Breaking a treaty with something with your family. That's right. Your that's, kin, that's right. Did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. They had violated a sacred treaty, a sacred vow. Thus the moral principle to which God holds all people accountable to is that the pledge of your word is never broken. God holds us accountable for our word. If we say we're going to do something, we ought to be doing it. it. used to be a word and a handshake is all you need, and that was a legal agreement. Today, unfortunately, we got to go through, jump through hoops with, with lawyers and everything because so many people don't keep their word anymore. But God expects us to keep our word to Him. God keeps His word to us, and He expects us to keep our, our word to each other. Very important. It used to be a day a man was only worth his word. 
Seriously. Seriously. Unfortunately, those days um, have passed us by. Uh, Tyree was a leading city of the Phoeacians, and God's judgment fire would destroy that place with its palaces. Okay? So we see a trend here. These outer nations, neighbors, boom, 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 boom. God's speaking judgment upon them. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, ah, now we get to Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Taman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Okay? Now judgment falls on who? Edom. All right. Twice Edom has already been indicated for trade, uh, slave trade. Now a new dimension to the national guilt of this nation is added. Edom is accused of pitiless pursuit of his brother nation. Who is the brother nation of Edom? Edomites. Got to go back in your history. Jacob, but... It was Esau, right? Am I correct? I believe so. It was Esau became the Edomites. So he's saying, you didn't show pity on your brother. You didn't show mercy upon your brother, okay? Um, he pursued his brother with a sword and destroyed his compassions. Here's the crime of the heart. Edom harbored hatred towards a nation with which a sacred treaty was enforced. They had, they, had a, they had an agreement, an accord, a covenant. And the Lord accused Edom of perpetual anger and wrath, and God, God does not tolerate ethnic or racial hatred. I told you it's had a lot to do with social justice. God doesn't tolerate hatred. You know, I was listening to Francis Chan today, a great interview with Francis Chan on a podcast, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad I listened to, uh, to him because he, some of his stuff early on was very anti-Pentecostal. And he admits it in this podcast. He was very anti pentecostal He came out of seminary, evangelicals, anti, he was anti, we were of the devil. But he, today he says, you know, I'm in my 50s now. He says, you know, it's funny how time and age and ministry kind of matures you. And, and anyway, it was a great re- reconciliation podcast because he just shared his heart. He said, I just found out those, those brothers really are in the Word and they really believe that and they really are good people and they are saved. He came out and said they are saved. And he said, I've just come to the realization that every person is created in the image of God. That's basics, right? I mean, that's in Genesis right there in the very beginning. And he says, you know what? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to compromise truth for the sake of unity, nor am I going to compromise unity for the sake of truth. He says, I, and I believe this, I agree with him. He says, a very wise, very wise statement. He says, can't we have both? Can't we have unity and truth? And he, when he said that, it's just like a light bulb went on my head. And how we look at people of... Now, obviously, we're not, we're not necessarily talking about saved or lost. We know there's a difference in, the, in religions. But within, the, but within the Christian church, the ticket to heaven is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And, 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 and really was building a bridge. But when he said, you know what? Even, even the Muslims are created in God's image. Even the homosexuals are created in God's image. He said, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what they believe or what they do. But he says, my approach to them now is, you know what? They're still creating God's image. There's no room for hatred in the kingdom of God. There is no room. We hate the sin. We love the sinner. Because without it, then we're all lost. Because Jesus looked beyond my sin and died for me. He saw me as valuable when I had no value. See, yeah, and he still sees me as value, even though I'm still a person of clay and in the process of still growing and learning and becoming the image of Jesus right here on earth. So, and and I think that's important. Like I said, I, we could read through this this chapter and just historically look at what's going on with time, but there really is some some really depth here to what applied, which is why is. God inspired to where we are today. And we're living in our, our nation is a place of hatred. Political parties, races, 
sexual preference, whatever tag. We're so, we're so divided in our nation. And um, I just don't see how we're going to be able to reach people if we don't extend an olive branch and say, look, let's talk about what we don't agree, but let's agree to love each other as we respect each other and talk about these things. Because if we never have the, if we never, if all we're doing is screaming at people, we're not having a conversation and we're never going to be able to reach people. Brother Gerald? That the message of Christ is often lost in the dogma that we yeah. perpetrate. You know, it's they one of the most profound quotes I've heard in the last few years. I can't recall who said it originally. I've heard it so many different times, but someone said, you know, most people know what the church is against, but yeah. they don't know what the church is for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, regardless of sexual preference, regardless of all these things, we should be for people. At the end of the day, right. the God image is what we should be seeing in other people. Absolutely. And, and I agree. We, we, like I said, it doesn't mean we, and I'm not, this is not backing up. This is just clarifying things. I'm not saying that we embrace the sin. But before I can tell, before I can tell somebody about, uh, before I can, before I can, Pinpoint or pinpoints, I'm having a hard time with my words, forgive me. Before I can talk to somebody about the sin in their life, if there's a particular sin, we all have sin, before I can tell them about the love of Jesus, that I, I, there has to be that moment where we connect for something in common. Brother Glenn? That's right. And I, and, I, and I think love, I said God's a God of judgment. God, and here's the other side, God's a God of love. And I, I think you're right. We, we, we're mandated to love. How we love each other is how the world knows we're His disciples. And then we are to l- love our neighbor as ourselves. Absolutely. Mary Lou? You mean the Lord's. <laughs> Say it the Lord. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and, I, and I think part of the can I just be very transparent with you tonight? Part of my problem I have is, is not with the people that uh, I disagree with their lifestyle. And I'm not just talking. I'm not just talking about homosexuals. I'm just talking about just there. It, it could be somebody who's living in with somebody out of wedlock. It could be the guys out there who are selling the the drugs or whatever the case may be. But I really don't have the issue where where the tension is for me. I think in the in the church world is that everything has become politicized or politicized in the media. In the media, how does the, the media makes money by dividing people. That's how, that's really how they, they want to divide people. And I'm not saying that the media is the devil. I'm just saying the devil's using the media. And uh, we know the spirit behind it. And I think that's, I think it's because it's always thrown up in my, I'm being very transparent, it's always thrown up in my face. And that's that's what kind of gets kind of gets under my skin a little bit. It's it's not that I hate these people. I'm just tired of it always being thrown up in my face. Now we do have to be careful in that particular area, also though, that we don't get on a slippery slope. There again, loving the people doesn't mean we let we just sit back and we don't stand for what is biblical. We do need to fight for traditional biblical marriage. We do need to make sure that you hear my heart there, but. That's never going to change until we reach the individuals. I saw a hand up. Yes, Gerald. Well, the other thing is that, um, oh, I'll watch it. Excuse me. Senior moment. You'll find it again. <laughs> well, if you come back to Alex. I think we have to remember that we're not the Holy Spirit, right? It's not our job to sanctify people. Sanctification is, is 
is the role of the Holy Spirit in the individual. Our job as believers is to love and to welcome and to encourage because we want them to be part of this. Yeah. We love Christ. And right. Part of loving Christ is loving the church. Right. Part of loving the church is welcoming people. It's not our job to change people. Well, and, and this isn't disagreeing with you, but I, there again, I want to clarify some things. We're called to be light, which I think that's the love of God, but we're also called to be salt, which is a preserver. That's what I'm saying. We, our job, as long as the church is here, is to perpetuate the love of Christ, but we're also supposed to be the voice of God in the sense of we, we are supposed to be the, we are supposed to help usher in the morality of God's words. That makes sense, what I'm trying to say there? It doesn't mean we say, okay, you guys go do what you want to, sell drugs. Hey, you know what, if you guys want to go, and this is going to sound very, very bold and maybe offensive, and I'm trying to be offensive, but now with all this trans, the transgendered movement, it's not long before we're not going to have, uh, there's, I forget the name of the group, where men who want to have sexual relationships with boys is going to come about. We already see the, the, the age of consent going down. So why, when is it going to happen? That, that's the slippery slope. That's what I'm talking about. We, 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 are, we are to be the balance. We are to say, no, we have to stand up and say what's right and wrong. But that doesn't mean we, I hate you because you're this way. No, I love you regardless of, of what your preference is or what your background is. But somehow or another, the message has to get out. They need to know what we stand for, the good things. But we, but it, we still have to perpetuate the, the biblical morality. We are the salt. Does that make sense? Brother Gerald? I knew it would. Oh, absolutely. Right, right, right. Removing the, yeah. And that comes directly from the Word of God. But Joy? Tony, you're talking about media pushing stuff, political stuff, especially that's wrong. And I, and I think Amos deals with this, but one thing they're pushing, trying to push on us daily is abortion. Mm hmm. And it gets uh, to that here. And Amos talks about yeah. God's wrath. Well, yeah, because we're 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 getting there, aren't we? That's 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 it, absolutely. So let's 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 go there, okay? Yeah, it does. And God's judgment is here, it's falling, and it's going to continue to fall. One day, it's, His ultimate judgment is going to come on, and He's going to burn this place up, and we'll have a new earth. When we start listening to the media, we start seeing the things that's happened, a bird can fly over my head, but he ain't going to build a mess. There you go. And we put up with stuff that we don't need to put up with a lot of times. And the Panama City News Herald, <laughs> it's a good bird cage wrapper. That's, that's what <laughs> Mullet wrapper, huh? If there's anything in there that, that the media has said, the new channel print. Yeah, yeah. And we, 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 just, we just can't. Well, that's what you got the off button for. But we, but we, but and and I'm not an advocate of just turning all news off. You, you got to have. But when I look at it. I look at it through the filter of the Word of God and everything in the media just reminds me of the times we're living in and where we're headed. Truthfully. Amen. It's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, but yet there's so much yet to be done. There's so much yet to be done. And that's, that is what, as a pastor, 
as a shepherd, that's, that's what bothers me right now is I, I see the handwriting on the wall. And it's not because I'm in my 50s now. I, I had a, am I 55? I thought I was 54. Today, I just come to realization, I'm fi- I lost a year of my life today. And, uh, and so, but the, the reality is not because of my age, but it's because it's, the, there's something in the spirit realm that's quickening my spirit. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know if it's Jesus returning. Uh, we know he is coming back. Or things are quickly about to shift, pivot again in the church world. And I, I don't know, but I just know that time is, time is short. And after last night, I know how short time really is. Uh, after the near, near death experience, uh, that's the closest I think I've been to death in my lifetime. Um, so, that, and that's where I am with it. So, yes, I am looking and loving His appearing. I'm looking towards the eastern sky. I'm, I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm waiting to hear it. But yet, part of me is like, wait a minute. You know, I got a nephew that's unsaved. And he's of that lifestyle. What do I do? See, that's that's heavy for me. If Jesus come right now, I wouldn't see my nephew. My brother won't see his son. Say, Alex? Dear friend of mine, he, he wrote on wrote on uh, eschatology, which is the study of the end times, and he said that as Pentecostals, which that's that's where we fall under, that's that's our umbrella, that we are a people that exist and operate between and this tension between the present and the not yet. Yeah. Right? I mean we're people that look to Christ's coming. That's right. But we operate in the reality of now. Now. Yeah. And we have a tendency, in my opinion, that we can, we can become quite escapist in our views of, the, of, of Christ's return. And there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I'm ready to go. But there's so much work that needs to be done yes. here. We don't have, like, not say we don't, we don't have time to worry about that, but at the same time, we don't Trust have time me. to worry about that. I feel, um, I feel that tension more every day than I ever have in my life. And the Spirit empowers us yes. during that tension to operate as voices of, Love of The two tensions as as a shepherd that I live within, that's that's one of them, and a subcomponent of that is, when my time is done, what am I leaving for the next generation who is already here, and wh- who am I leaving or who are we? Not just me. You're a part of it. What are we? What are? Who are we leaving it to? That's a reality for me. That's a tension. Brother Glenn, one time you were the children's pastor. You were, you were that generation being handed it off to. Now it's time for us to hand it off to the next generation. That's the concern. Is, is the next generation prepared? Have we prepared the next generation to be the leaders of this church? Let's make it very personal. Don't know. That's exactly right. Really the, the New Testament Christians lived every day with the tension that they looked. I say detention. It was an anticipation. Jesus is coming back. Don't, don't, your mama, what's your mama say, Brother Bill? I, every time I talk to her, she said, I dare not lie because Jesus could come back any moment. That's how much she feels, she feels about lying. And it, it's kind of become a joke between me and her. Uh, but that's how, that's the, t- that's the way they live. And honestly, that's the way we should live. We should live like, before I wake in the morning, the trumpet could sound. Oh, I'm ready to go, but wait a minute. What about so-and-so? God, help me. Open the door, and I'm going to get on my soapbox. Open the door, God. Help me get out of my complacency. Help me get out of my laziness, God. Help me get out of over my fear. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the boldness. Give me the words to speak. Open that door. Heart, soften their heart. No man comes to the Father let the Spirit draw. The Spirit has to draw. Lord, draw them and then lead me to them. Give me the words to say, God, so that somehow, some way, they can receive Christ as their Lord and Savior before it's too late. That's the mission of the church. See? 
Then when we get it, I know I've gone from teaching to preaching. We're going to finish chapter 1 here. Then when we get them, then we've got to prepare them to hand the baton off to them. Or if they're of our age, to hand ministry off to them. My jo- that's, that's my calling. The calling of the pastor is to reach, teach, equip, train, release. I'm adding some things in there, but that's it. The saints to do the ministry. Now, I'm not saying you're not doing your job. I'm just saying we've got to do a better job. We've got to do more. Maybe this needs to be Sunday morning's message. I'm preaching right now. I don't know. Uh, uh, but you hear my heart. Why are we doing all we're doing to the facilities that we're doing? Why are we spending... You know, we, we send thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars into the mission field. We're, we're, we do the same thing here. Why can we do better? Why? Yeah, the storm destroyed things. Okay, we're about... But, why are we doing it? Just so that we can be comfortable? Almost five million in the West Florida district. That's it. Last year. Yeah. Broke all records. Broke all records. So is it so we can be comfortable, so we can say, look what we've done? Or is or is are the facilities, are the instruments, is the pulpit, is the children youth, is the field, is the van, is they're just tools for what? Reaching the loss and making disciples. Brother Jim, we're not going to be around much longer. Even if the rapture don't take place, right? I know I can talk to you that way. You love me anyways. I first looked at your wife and said, I'm not going there. Seriously. Not with your red hair. I can't do that. Yeah, but you 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 you, you 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 hear my heart though. What I'm trying to say, it's it's your generation's got to pick it up. It's your generation. Even Ben, you're not old yet, Ben. You're getting there. Your generation. See, I'm I'm I'm, I'm thankful for some of the new families that's come to our church in the last year and the leadership that they're stepping up. That makes you feel great. Doesn't mean our job is done. Our job's not done until we take our last breath. Okay. All right. But sooner or later, we we have to feel comfortable. To hand it off. And can I be honest with you? I'm not saying I'm ready to leave the pulpit, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm ready to start handing some of this up. But we've got to have people step up and say, I want it. I'll take it. See, the, it, I feel that tension. I feel that tension. Who, I built upon the foundation of those who came before me. Some did great jobs. I'm not casting stones. Some didn't. But regardless, I've got the foundation. And there's going to become some after me, whether I did a great job or I didn't do a great job, that's going to build upon the foundation that... And I say I, really, it's those who have served alongside of me what we've done. So I think we've got to get back to loving people, to get back to that theme again, and loving them enough to go to all measures, even to the point of rejection, to reach them for the kingdom. And that doesn't mean you're going to hell because of your lifestyle. So no, I'm... I'm Okay, I don't agree with your lifestyle. But can we, let's, can we agree to disagree on that? Now, let's have, a, let's, let's have a friendship. Let's have a relationship where we can build a trust. Build a trust. I honestly believe we've had visitors since I've been here that have been angels unaware that the Lord has sent. Could be. Yeah. Unawares, yep. Well, I just realized that it's 745, so I've got to shut this thing down. Let me read this last scripture, and we'll close with it, because you guys, we've already talked about it. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for, the, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire in the walls of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, and he and his princes together, says the Lord. Judgment on Ammon. 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 I'll get that word out. Okay. The Ammonites were guilty of attempting to expand their territories at the expense of Israel. Gilead. Okay. In doing so, they had committed unspeakable 
atrocities, especially in the area of this particular geographical area of Gilead. In an attempt to wipe out the entire male population, they found pregnant women and ripped their bellies open and killed their babies. Abortion. Absolutely. Yep. Gone after the babies, the unborn babies. God expects all nations to respect basic human rights, including the rights to the unborn. Amen. Amen. And, of course, you can read what he talks about there. It's, just, it's, it's going to take out the capital and, and the leaders and even the princesses. So, Good study tonight. I hope you, uh, this is the beginning. Don't know where next week leads, but we will pick up in Chapter 2 as far as we can. I apologize. I- Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.